0: This is Johnny Silva. I'm the pastor at Dilly First United Methodist Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope it builds your faith, and I hope it gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. Enjoy the message. I am looking forward to these two two weeks off, and um i have this whole list of things that that laura has given me that i should do and i'm like okay but can i just take a break just for a little bit first but she's like okay but then you have this whole list of things to do and i get it i get it the whole honeydew list and all that sort of stuff and some of that stuff is good some of that stuff is fun and other of that stuff is just stuff that needs to get done and so i i think about that but there are some things that i am looking forward to and one of those is, uh, one of my former TCU students, his name is Sam Hinckley. He is living in San Antonio now. And he invited me, he said, after you're done with everything, um, can we grab some coffee? It's been a little while. It's like, okay, sure. So on Wednesday morning, we're going to get some coffee together and this is in San Antonio. So, um, it's going to be great. Now, a little bit about that. So Sam is, again, my one of my former students at TCU, but he's not what you would consider your typical TCU student. Now, first of all, um, whenever I think of TCU or before I went to TCU, one of the things I thought about is that these are normally people that don't have to worry about scholarships. And they're going to a pretty expensive school. I mean... Uh, without this is just tuition for a year forty five thousand dollars which to me that's a lot but what I didn't know is that over half so 65% of all the students that attend TCU are on some type of um, scholarship so there's some help there with that Sam happened to be one of those and the other reason that he wasn't your typical TCU student is because he was a little bit older And by a little bit older, I mean like, you know, two or three years. And one of the things that took him a little while to get to TCU, um, so whenever he was younger, he went straight into college, didn't do so well. And then he decided to be a firefighter slash paramedic. And so he did that, and he was doing that. He was really awesome at that. But then he knew if he really wanted to get to his ultimate goal of becoming a doctor, then he would have to really go back to school, and do well in school. So he got all of his ducks in a row, and he finally made his way to TCU, and then while he was there, he did everything he could to catch up, but it's a very expensive way to catch up, and so when he did that, one of the ways that we can kind of help him out a little bit was we had a TCU Wesley house so that was where the offices were that or the office was and it was where the we worshiped and there was like a a place where we ate and all that sort of stuff so everything had a a, every room had a a place um, a purpose but within there we had two residents he was one of those residents and they didn't have to pay rent but what they did have to do was they had to keep it tidy and um just upkeep of the house so i thought that that was a pretty fair exchange now with that um he was one of those students but he and i got to uh, have many many conversations and his father is kind of a uh a mr fix it kind of guy so he would go around with with his um with his van and he would have all the things that he would need all the tools just to kind of do any type of thing. So like carpentry, uh, electrician, whatever. He was kind of a Mr. Fix-It for everything. So that's what he would do basically. And then his mother um, would take care of his older brother. So Sam's older brother and uh, like the caregiver. And so that was what she did with most of her time. And so he didn't come from, from money, necessarily. He, his, his parents, or his dad especially, didn't go to college. So this was something that, that he wanted to do. His older brother was a doctor, and he really felt like he could be a doctor. But there was a lot of things against him. First of all, he started late at TCU, and so he was playing catch-up. So his P- GPA was not great, And so there is that. And then he took his MCAT. We were just talking about this earlier. Uh, And so he did okay on it. But again, it wasn't good enough. Now, he didn't let that get him down. He just said, all right, there has to be another way. And there was. He came with his wife, his new wife. I say that because he graduated. And then that same day, later on that same day, they got married. And so they came to San Antonio, same time I did in 2020, and they, uh, he went into a program where basically it's a post-baccalaureate or a post-bachelor program where he can kind of get up to that level where he needed to be, kind of a preparation for medical school. And so now he is in his third year of medical school at University of um, Incarnate Word. So he is there. He's almost there. He's waiting um, and he's anticipating and all of that sort of stuff, but it has been a long journey for him. And now here he is. He will be a doctor and it has shifted from this kind of, everybody's telling him it's not going to work. He even told himself it's not going to work, but I can't give up on it. And it's shifted from that type of waiting into a more joyful waiting. And for many of us, Somewhere along the way, we too have had some type of kind of foolish or useless hope or dream that other people, other people have kind of convinced us that this is just, it's a pipe dream. You're never going to be able to do that. But something deep within us, there was something that just wouldn't let us give it up, wouldn't dismiss it. It just stuck there. And some continuous inner voice encourage us to keep on fighting, to keep on believing, no matter what others said. And like I've said uh, a couple of weeks ago, don't listen to the world's no, but listen to God's yes. That inner voice, that inner monologue going on saying, don't give up. We felt that. And as we've discovered over our experiences and over these, this series entitled In Good Company, we know that waiting can be extremely difficult. But like Israel that we heard about in week one, we too can find strength in waiting. And last week we talked about Simeon and how, like him, we can find hope in waiting. And today we examine the life of Elizabeth, who had joy in waiting, and will hopefully we will hopefully find that we are in good company with Israel, with Simeon, and with Elizabeth as we wait. So today we are in good company, and we speak on the joy in waiting. And this is found in Luke chapter. One verses 5 through 25, and then picking up again in 39 through 45. But a little background first. So in Luke's gospel, which we've been in for a little while, um, he begins this narrative that we're going to read about in just a little bit by setting up the event of the, the announcement of the birth and the annunciation of the birth of John the Baptist and of Jesus. And he sets this in the context of of contemporary history. So what he does is he says that, that Herod the Great was made king, well, he doesn't say this, but this is the context. Herod the Great was made king by the Roman Senate in 40 B.C., but his actual control began in 37 B.C. So three years difference, and ended with his death in 4 B.C. And then Luke regularly uses Judea to represent all of Palestine. And in the verses that follow, there are several characters. And we know the story, I think. But today, we're going to concentrate not on all the other characters, but specifically on Elizabeth and her experience in waiting. So we pick up on Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of let me see, Abijah, and his wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before the God, living blameless, blamelessly according to all the commandments and the regulations. Of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were getting on in years. That last part is just to say that they were old. They're getting on in years. Um, I haven't had anybody say that to me yet, but I I think I'll get there eventually. Now, with that said, though, what we read here is both Zechariah and Elizabeth were of the priestly family of Aaron. So the brother of Moses. And Zechariah was actually serving in the temple in one of the 24 divisions of Aaron's 23 sons. Or 24 sons. However, even though they are basically the picture-perfect Jewish family, and they had this Jewish piety of the utmost, they were still childless. Elizabeth... She was unable to have children in her old age, and she also belonged to a rich tradition. Because of that experience, she also joined the tradition of Sarah, of Rebecca, of Rachel, the wife of Manoah, and of Hannah. And just like all of them, she was not only seen as less than, because she couldn't have children but in fact being punished by God for some sin in her life that nobody really knew about because the purpose and and at least that she saw it this way and a lot of culture did was um, to be a woman is to have children and if you can't have children then what's your purpose that that was how it was in that day and there's still, to this, to this day, there is some of that stigma. But because this is about Elizabeth, we kind of skip over the next sections about the angel Gabriel visiting Zechariah, which he does, and telling him that his wife Elizabeth would have a son and that they would name him John. But because Zechariah <clears throat> asked How would he know that this is so? The angel Gabriel told him that he would be mute and that he could not talk until all that he had told him came to pass. Now, I find this amusing, though, because in the next section, right after the angel Gabriel talks to Zachariah and makes him mute so he can't talk, the very next section is the angel Gabriel coming to the Virgin Mary And her response to to what the angel Gabriel says to her is basically the same thing, which is, how can this be? For I am a virgin. And instead of making her mute, the angel tells her how this is going to happen and how her cousin Elizabeth is also with child. But again, the message is not about Zechariah and it's not about Mary But it's about Elizabeth. And so with that, we continue on in verse 24. After those days, his wife, that is Zechariah, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she remained in seclusion. She said, this is what the Lord has done for me. When he loved, when he looked favorably on me, and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. Maybe Elizabeth was was one of those people that was trying not to, uh, trying to psych herself out that it's really not that bad. Um, people really don't talk behind my back. People really don't think that of me, or that it bothered her that much at all. But here we see her admitting. Just how burdensome it really was. How much it affected her life that she was barren. We see that Elizabeth is shifting now. Everything has shifted from this waiting of anticipation that maybe things aren't going to happen the way that she wants them to. Going from that into an expectant one awaiting with joy. And so we see whenever Mary comes to Elizabeth, and this is probably one of my favorite parts, in those days Mary set out and went with haste to the Judean town in the hill country. That's not um, San Antonio area, but another hill country. Uh, And there she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Here's my favorite part. When Elizabeth For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child within my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believes that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Again, this is one of the favorite, my favorite parts. Whenever Elizabeth sees Mary for the first time, and it says, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt within her womb. Her womb that was once barren, her womb that was once considered a punishment by God, unable to produce life, is now overflowing with joy, overflowing with life, overflowing with promise. And next we see Elizabeth recognizing Mary as something much more than just her younger cousin. With these words, they are also uh, found within The rosary, if you've ever heard the rosary, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then they add Jesus. Within these words, we can see a lot of things kind of transpire. So Elizabeth was once scorned by other women. Now she is blessed among all women. Elizabeth had no life or hope within her womb, and now there is life, there is fruit, and she and he are indeed blessed. Again, this is John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. Elizabeth identifies Mary now as mother of my Lord. In Greek, this is referred to as the theotokos. In English, we would refer that to as God-bearer. So no, she is not just birthing a child, but this, this child, so Mary is birthing this child that will and is become God. Theotokos, the God-bearer. So Elizabeth identifies Mary of who she is and who Jesus is. And before Elizabeth was seen as devout and yet somehow less than, now Elizabeth is very special and set apart by God And playing a very crucial role in the story of the coming of the Christ child. And everything has changed. But for so long, Elizabeth was waiting. She was waiting and hoping, waiting and hoping. And and others might have seen her wait and her hope as useless, as foolish. That's never going to happen. Why would you ever... Consider that you would be special enough for that to happen. Everybody else can have children, but not you. There's something wrong with you. That's what she was told all of her life. That's what she was um, treated that way, as less than, as set apart, as, as somebody that was scorned. And now, within all of that difficult waiting, I, ca- I cannot imagine what that was like. Every day, getting those snickers and those sneers and those um, side conversations that whenever she walked by, she knew exactly what they were saying. She went from that type of hurt. Every single step she took was with that grief, and it was so heavy on her. Grief for something that, that she never had. And yet she felt at a loss. That was the waiting that she had. And then, and then the Lord intervened in her life. And then her waiting became something with joy. She was looking for anticipation for so long. She was waiting for something that might happen, maybe happen. If God would will it to happen, it would happen. But it didn't look good. She was waiting in that type of existence. And now she can wait another nine months in order to have not only just a child, but somebody that would become John the Baptist. And somebody whose life would always be pointing to Christ beyond him. Somebody is coming greater than I. And he was talking about Jesus. His whole life was Clearing the way, preparing the way for Jesus to come. And you know what? He did that at the very beginning. Whenever Mary first saw Elizabeth, there was a leaping in her womb, recognizing who Jesus was. And John was even pointing to Jesus then saying, there's something special about him. I'm preparing the way of the Lord. He came before him so that he could prepare the way of the Lord. But think about this, all of this, Elizabeth was part of a huge ordeal where before she was seen as less than, maybe even scorned, maybe even set apart as you're not worthy. And now look at her with God in her life, with God making things the impossible possible. She was waiting with joy, with anticipation of what is to come. Little did she know how crucial her part would be in the greatest story ever told. So, with this, I leave you with that question. What have you been waiting for your entire life? What have you been waiting for that maybe you were told somewhere along the way that, you know what, you're never going to get there. You're never going to do that. That's not for you. Your life doesn't amount to that. What have you been told all of your life? What have what no has the world been telling you? And yet there's something within you that, that doesn't let it ring true. That, that you know that there's something better. You know that there's something deeper within you that's that's saying, don't listen to the world's no, but listen to God's yes. I don't know what that is for you. But I know that God is saying yes in your life in some way that you didn't even see was possible. And that God can use your life and that God can use the way that you have waited to bring about his kingdom, to bring about his word, to bring about his will in the world. So as we wait for the coming of the Christ child, How can God use us? How can God use you? To play in to the greatest story ever told. To play into the work and the will of Jesus Christ and the gospel message right here, right now. As we wait, we wait with joy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There's a couple of things I'd love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And please share this message with friends and family to help us spread the gospel message. And thanks again for joining us on Dilly First United Methodist Church Podcast. Blessings.